Welcome back to the Carp Chronicles podcast. In this episode, I chat with Julian Cundiff about almost 40 years worth of using and making bait. I'm sure you'll all find this one very, very interesting. Obviously, over the years, Julian's used many different baits and he shares his favorite ones and favorite ingredients. And yeah, goes into goes into detail about some very interesting things that he's used over the years. I mean, nearly 40 years the guy has seen some different baits um, and he very kindly shares what he thinks is the best, what he didn't get on with and everything else in between. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy this episode. Now, before we jump in, of course, I have two things to mention to you, actually. But first up, it's my lovely sponsor, targetbaits.co.uk. If you haven't checked these guys out and you haven't ordered from them yet, I urge you to do so. They sell extremely high quality ingredients that, most importantly, are very, very fresh and are at great prices as well. So check them out, targetbaits.co.uk. You can actually get 10% off if you use the code CC10. So that's CC10. Pop it in at checkout. It's actually the page after checkout. You you pop in your, your name and your address, and then when you go to the next page to choose your payment method, there's a little thing just below it that says apply discount code. Pop in CC10 in there, and you'll save yourself 10% off at targetbaits.co.uk. And just before we jump in, I will quickly mention The Bait Club which I have mentioned before on the solo episode. But for those of you who don't know what The Bait Club is, I urge you to go and check that out. Ultimately, what it is all about is me helping a small group of individuals make the very best bait possible and get the best out of their bait and fishing in general. Uh, It's very small numbers at the moment. There's only, I think, 10 or 11 people in there. Um, But we're going to grow this out. We're going to make it even bigger and better. We have regular meetings. We do um, group chats once a month. I do regular recipes and posts and ingredient reveals and all kinds of stuff. And anyone can ask me whatever they want about making bait. So if you want to get the most out of your bait, I urge you to go ahead and check that out. You can do so at optibaits.com forward slash BC. Just the letters BC. Optibaits.com forward slash BC. Alternatively, just go to the Optibaits website, click all products and then you'll see it in near the top there. Um, and that is called The Bait Club. That's it. I've waffled on enough. I really hope you enjoyed this episode with the main man himself, the lovely Julian Cundiff. Julian, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, for the uh, third time. Eh? Um, so, um, yeah, it's great. I think the first two were the 80s. And with the nineties, um, so true old school, uh, and this one's on bait. So uh, again, at my, um, I think I, think I uh, sent you a, a message saying, you know, I'd, I'd love to do something a little bit more in depth rather than when did you catch your first carp and yeah. <laughs> when did you run three lakes, which is great. Two audiences have not heard it before, but having listened to your podcast, um, it is it is uh, thematic, isn't it? It's on, on, there is a, a degree, to, a large degree, towards the bait side of things. Very much so. Yeah, absolutely. And I I appreciate the offer. Thank you. And you've come <laughs> extremely well prepared. I must say, you've got a, um, a a timeline of the different baits you were using, which kind of starts mid eighties when I was not very old at all um and run runs all the way through to the, through the 90s etc so yeah. we'll we'll meander our ways through that um and i think yeah you get people as i said before people 
just absolutely love the older bait stuff. Um, there's a lot of fascination around how different things came about and what was being used when. So I think people are going to find this absolutely fascinating. Um, I'm certainly, certainly looking forward to it. I will ask you a question. We've actually just done this because foolishly started this <laughs> podcast and I didn't press record. <laughs> so I don't about it. I've done worse. So I, I know the answer, but I will ask you anyway. Your your first bait before carp fishing, your very first bait that you used in fishing, what was that? 1976, and it was a Devon minnow. Um, I'd seen somebody tench fishing, but that was all very complicated. And the guy just, in effect, put me, sent me in the direction of Woolworths, which was a pre, which was really a forerunner of Wilkinson. So we are going back in time. And Woolworths had their own. Um, fishing section which was the Winfield brand uh, and of course Winfield didn't sell maggots because it was all blister packs of of fishing tackle rods reels uh, landing nets etc um and uh, I was decided I decided I want to catch a perch uh, and the only ones I could really afford were Devon minnows there were Mets spoons which were sort of a bronzy colored spoon with huge huge hooks that looking back I'm surprised anything ever hooked themselves on the blunts of those hooks and there was the Devon minnow which was like a little German torpedo or what well, like a torpedo really uh, and that you know caught my eye I bought a pack of those and went spinning with them they were great you just cast them out like a bullet wind them back in and eventually the um the perch would hang themselves um so that was 76 so what we yes, uh 47 years ago <laughs> yeah i had um i had one of those devon minnows as well i don't think i ever caught on it um no. but yeah i had one so they, they were still around in the night they might even be around now they probably aren't but i think they're more of a salmon you know i think right. they're a game um a big game, the game yeah. lure. In those days, Winfield, you know, everything was thrown in the pot. Pike fishing, uh, roach fishing, salmon fishing, sea fishing. Everything was thrown in the pot. And the nearest I can think of this is if you go into any boys store, B-O-Y-E-S, they often have like a little fishing section and you're as likely to find a perk there as a boiler and you're as likely to find a 12-foot beach caster as a 10-foot carp rod. So it's, you know, pretty similar, you know, it's coverall, you know, we need a fishing department, get it all chucked in. Yeah, yeah, I remember Woolworths. I, I remember. Yeah, they're great pick and mix. <laughs> oh, the pick and mix. Yeah, who who, who doesn't remember that? Yeah, awesome. smuggling them into the view because you can't afford the views price. Did you know? Exactly. Pick and mix. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. So we kick things off in what you've labelled the Richworth years, uh, yeah. which is in 1984. I'm presuming at the at the beginning of your cart fishing or specimen hunting days. Run us yeah. through that. Yeah, I mean, I, I was a specialist angler from sort of 79 to 83, as I, discuss, I discussed in the first podcast. And carp were just another species, you know, that I saw people catching. I was no more interested in carp than I was bream, eels, pike, tench. Um, but then I saw two guys fishing for, as they said, tench. Um, and it didn't look very tench. It looked very specialist for tench. And they did seem to be fishing a long way out. Uh, and I just pestered them and pestered them. And eventually they gave me a copy of the carp strikes back uh, and literally sent me on my way. And it was the blue one. So it was one of the early ones. And it was just a revelation. 
Um, and I'm, I, can't, you know, I can't remember that there was actually boilies in there. There were recipes. Um, and I made my own bait out of, um, went to the local um, koi carp shop or tropical fish and made it out of pellets and paste. But that was, they used to fall off. I, you know, there was no instruction really on how to do that. And then, of course, the first boilies were made available, which I saw in course angler i think it was uh went into the fishing tackle shop and you got um the richworths which were i think in the original days only frozen only frozen yeah you're probably right there i know it was early 80s that they brought i don't know exactly which year but i know it was early 80s that they they actually brought the ready-mades out ready-rolled baits and they um, came i think when you when you were a, a when you had your tackle shop in effect richworth also provided the bait freezer yeah. so in effect the bait freezer was provided with frozen bait um and you know there was very little known and we we just went in and um there was a number of baits and of course you couldn't smell and test them because they were you know in the in the packs in the freezer um i, I remember one of my friends got um, tropical mango, which was it didn't have much smell to it. There was salmon supreme, yeah. which was quite fishy, mm. and there was also honey Yucatan, the yellow one. And from day one, we, we we took it in turns: one fish honey Yucatan, one fish salmon supreme. I found the salmon supreme too oily; it just didn't work for me. But honey Yucatan from the start was incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, you know from catching three carp a year we were catching five or six in a weekend which you know in those days was a lot of carp it really was compared to something in the 70s and early 80s six five six seven carp over 40 hours at a weekend whatever the size was a result yeah the uh, honey yucatan was a, such a lovely smell as well wasn't it? it was i mean i know it doesn't want it doesn't matter what it smells like to us but it was no. this lovely kind of rich honey type smell, as the name would suggest. It was lovely. Yeah, stuff. It was it was, a, it was quite subtle as well, and it was mm. you know we, we used to obviously just it was it was the days before we really used pop ups, uh, and it wasn't till I realised that because they didn't sell pop ups in those days. In fact, they probably sold some flavours. They sold the atomizers, so you could buy the Richworth neutral boilies and spray them with the at the atomizers. And there was some really cranberry, and the atomizers were really strong. I think they said one thousand to one, but they were strong. Looking mm. back, um, and they never—I was never a neutral fan over spraying. And I remember just thinking, well, I want my hook bait to stand out. And Richworth, I didn't see, or, or there wasn't any in the shop, did any any honey flavour. But Jeff Kemp did. Now, Jeff Kemp was one of my big four or five. Andy Little, Kevin Maddox, uh, Rod Hutchinson, Richie McDonald's, and Jeff Kemp were the names. Jeff Kemp was the bait man. And his honey was, what a beautiful, and it was almost like honey as well. The thickness of it. the And we used to soak the hook baits in the honey and immediately that you were getting quicker runs on it the jeff kemp honey was stunning an, an amazing an amazing attractor yeah yeah interesting uh, were you just putting that on your hook baits or over your feed baits as well oh just over the hook baits we would um we uh, we started um grilling pop-ups um that was so difficult trying to you know you imagine going back to ovens 35 
years ago, they that they were either on or they were off. There was no, so you either kept turning them by hand very, and there was a precise cutoff. And if you went too long, you burnt them, and they would just smell. Well, they just smelt of toast, or it, it was so difficult. So we would turn them in the grill, turn them in the grill. But that was so difficult. Microwaving was the one where you put them on a cock. You get a cocktail stick, stick the cocktail stick uh, through about three. And just put them in the microwave and keep microwaving, microwaving until they were rock hard. Then so and then take them off the microwave stick because that's where the hair went. Because you would never have gotten through otherwise. And just literally soak those in the um, in the Jeff Kemp honey flavour, uh, which either turned out as just about pop ups or more likely wafters. Hmm. But. You know, they were fished on a hair. And I don't remember in those days particularly testing them. You know, if they popped up at home, they were going to, they probably sank within half an hour and were probably perfectly presented wafters by accident. But that, those, <laughs> um, those honey yucatans made a difference. Um, and I think moving on from there, it was the, you, you only ever put bait out when you were fishing, only ever put bait out when you were fishing. But of course, in those years, we still had a close season and we decided to bait up in the close season. And I, I, I think it was every alternate night, 30, 15 mil boilies, which we thought was a lot. <laughs> and that made a huge difference. It was the first time I saw fish coming to a pre-baited area. It's amazing, isn't it? The difference that makes it is just it's an absolute game changer. 10-acre pit, 13 I mean, obviously, what it taught me was you had to find where the carp were. If you could find... We found that you couldn't make them go where they didn't want to be anyway. But if you found them and baited up, anything that was put in in advance made the fishing, or appeared to, because you can't say for definite, because maybe we would have caught them anyway. So we're sort of working backwards. It, to me, it did make a difference because they were consistently in that area. Find where they showed, bait that area up, and just 30 the uh, alternate nights during the week made a huge difference. That was the first time I actually saw that pre-baiting where fish were was the important thing. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And there, from then on, you moved on to a, a more kind of higher protein bait, a fantastic bait, actually, uh, High Nouvelle. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I started my friendship with Tim Paisley. And, of course, I was still in the Richworth areas there. Why wouldn't you be? Nobody else nobody else was really making bait. Or if they were, they certainly weren't telling a spotty 22-year-old mm. hanging around the pond. Uh, and I went to Tim Paisley's and, you know, we started doing some work on carp fisher. And, of course, he was a bait man in those days. It didn't overly interest me because in those days it was all about catching carp and they were hard enough to catch without changing a winning combination. Um, and, you know, chatting to Tim about bait. And in those days, Tim Tim really was on the breadline. It was it was tough times for Tim in, at Cemetery Road. He's, you know, he, he put everything on the line to make a career out of carp fishing. And I remember opening his cupboard and all that were in there was, I think, a jar of coffee, rye vita, some bovril, and then all his bait ingredients, um, which was like Bengers, the Davina, uh, Lactal. He had all his bait ingredients and various flavours uh, from various people. And, um, and and that's how that started. So that was way before even Nutribates put out High Naval. 
And when you switched over to that, did you notice a difference in terms of the fish you were catching or not so much? Um, to be fair, I started off um, that year on uh, just Jeff Kemp's protein mix. It was the bog standard protein mix, amaretto flavour. Um, and this is how long ago it was. We went to Trevor Moss's tackle shop in Gainsborough, and I think we bought three bags of protein mix, which we thought would do us the summer. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, could you imagine? That would probably just do a night now. Uh, and just made that. And we thought that a, a higher quality bait, I thought a higher quality bait would outfish the richness. We'd moved on to the Tylery. My mates weren't as... Um, starstruck, I'll call it starstruck by the leading likes like Tim and they were very, no, no, they don't know any more than us. So they stayed on the Richworths. I went on the uh, protein mix. They were baited up quite heavily with the Richworths. So they were putting out probably three pounds over a weekend, whereas I was putting out a pound and they just slayed me. They, I did, I was catching the odd fish, but I was, it was clear that. Putting amounts, the quality of the bait in those days, providing it was half decent, didn't matter. Putting it where the carp were and in quantities to keep them there was what was important. And I spent that first summer struggling. I, I caught odd fish, but I didn't catch many fish. And I remember Tim kept saying to me, you need to use a good quality bait, especially with the winter, you know, the the, um, the autumn coming on. And eventually he persuaded me to um, to try and, well, to knock up what was the forerunner to Heineval. So this there was no Heineval. So, you know, I had to order Lactalbumine. And I, forgive me, I can't remember the recipe. Casing. I had to go to the um, health shops for the uh, bangers and things like that. And I made the bait that way. The vitamins, which we ground them down. Um, the flavour was SBS because it was prior to Nutribates. SBS, Cornish ice cream, strawberry jam, uh, Cotswold Bates, Milk B. And um, it was bergamot oil uh, at the time. And that was what Tim gave me. And I put that combination together. And you got some amazing attractors in there, some oh. some very well-respected attractors. Yeah. Oh, and to be honest, it was, it was, again, a combination of the bait, the self-belief, the time of year. And, I, and I, I went straight in with that. I changed from one end of the lake to the other end of the lake. Now, the tyre then was 27 acres of mud. It was a minimum of two trips walking from the car, and that was a long walk to the far end. Um, and I was fishing, the um, obviously, that bait we talked about, which was the homemade Heineval. And always on the first night, I caught always on the first night. Second night very very rarely caught and it was the freezing i took frozen baits just in a in a packet you know in a i don't know probably a boily bag not a thermal one um and i complained to tim and we started taking him in flasks and those flasks made all the difference yeah from then on i caught first night and second night what any whatever anybody says about bait and that doesn't work and all that I can absolutely say that at that time of year, having frozen baits for that second night made all the difference. All the difference. What did you put that down to at the time? 
Um, I, I was told it was the uh, the fret that the the, the more fret that the better they were. You know, the denature, the they were more um, whether it's the tractors, I, I don't know. But if Tim told me that Bates from Frozen were essential, I wasn't going to argue with him. You know, I was twenty three with three years old, two, two, three years of carp fishing experience under my belt, very little else to go on. So I've got that guidance and catching now on both nights. So I didn't, I didn't need to fully understand it, the wise and wherefores, other than to know what I was doing. And it worked and it did work, absolutely did work. It was catching both nights rather than the opening night, rather than the first night. Uh, yeah, and and did you notice a difference in the size of fish you were catching? At all, yeah, absolutely, straight, straight away. I was ca- in those days. The best fish in there was about twenty eight, twenty nine pound. Um, anything over twenty two, twenty three was a good fish. And that, I mean, I'd had, I think I'd had one twenty, maybe two, and literally straight away, I was catching the better fish on those baits. Now, again, you know, I'm always, I'm always um, a realist. I'm not a fantasist or an idealist. You, you could say, well, you'd have caught them anyway, but it, it, I'm not so sure. The better fish were responding to that protein mix, um, frozen, uh, where they were. I wasn't putting large quantities out of it, but people elsewhere on the pond were catching the mid doubles to scraper 20s, and I was catching the high doubles to mid 20s, and it made a difference. And, and I'm one of these people, I don't need to have to know 100% because I don't think we do know 100%. But I'm happy that if I can come up with a reason why it's working, I will continue keep doing it and believe it until somebody tells me something different. It's very easy to pour scorn on people's theories. But unless you can show me why that theory doesn't work, I'm happy to go with what I think works and what is working for me. Absolutely. It's all you can go on, isn't it, really? Um... Absolutely. and it worked for me and the people that you're kind of fishing against the other people on the lake are they on boilies are they using particles what are they using they started off from richworth and again i thought i cracked it i thought that first year i'm just going to go in on the the frozen quality bait um we then started to get actually high naval was and i started adding the addits as adding the addits (laughs) using (laughs) the addits and again the results were for the pull of the bait and the limited amount of bait I used, it, it made all the difference. It, it, it's There was no doubt about it. My friends fishing near me would catch one fish a weekend, maybe two, I'd catch five or six, you know, and that was sufficient to me because we were all doing pretty similar things. So I was, I was pretty, I was pretty struck on that, pretty struck on that. You know, it, it, it did give me that self-belief. I wasn't a chemist, but I, uh, my the album proved it was working. Yeah, definitely. So, what what year are we up to now, Jules? We're we're um, eighty seven. We're at, we're at eighty seven. Yeah, and then in eighty eight, you you, you moved <laughs> over to Crafty Catcher. I, right? I made that. I made that. When you're younger, you're impressionable, aren't you? Mm. You know, and I see it all the time now. The angling market place to impressionable people people are being sold confidence and the older you get the less that you need to be told that terry julian laney 
does it, therefore I must do it. But when you are younger, you are impressionable. And I understand that. And I spent a winter fishing with Andy Little and we absolutely slayed them on crafty catcher ready-made. Because they're really in those days, there were probably three types. There was Duncan K, but they were very difficult to get hold of. There were Richworths and there were crafty catcher. Now, Crafty Catcher were sponsored Andy Little, and I had lots of trips with Andy Little, and we absolutely murdered them on uh, Crafty Catcher Peanut Pro. And being an impressionable youngster, <laughs> when somebody says you can get Crafty Catcher Peanut Pro at £5 for, you know, £3 of bait, or do you want to still keep rolling high naval, <laughs> which in yeah. those days was killing me, you know, you fish with your hero, you caught all those fish, and it's like, well, wh why wouldn't I use Crafty Catcher? Because, you know, it's a summer, I'll catch them. And uh, so I went in on Crafty Catcher, um, which kind of didn't work, but not for the reasons people think. Okay. What, what, what were they? Uh, well, the reasons people, again, it showed me how you can be outfished by, uh, by, um, well, I don't want to say lesser quality bait. I was baiting up the same area I finished the previous year. So I was baiting up the island point with Crafty Catch at about 40, 50, 60 yards, probably um, a couple of pounds every other night. And the guys next to me were guys who were a lot more experienced. They were spodding. I was going to say spomming, but it was spodding. <laughs> they were using the biggest spodge you could think with maize literally i'm talking buckets of maize well before anybody else was doing it so we're talking 10 kilo buckets they were spotting in the middle of nowhere as far as i was concerned and they were putting great big 20 mil i don't know what bait it was but it certainly had red robin red in it you could tell that and i thought well they're not going to outfish me i'm fishing more accurately they're spreading it over a, a big area you know I, i'm accurate i'm bait I got absolutely murdered that that summer. I think it was, you know, they were catching six to eight fish every weekend to my one or two, if I was lucky. And that, again, was purely and simply, they found where the fish were showing, they put the bait there in quantity, and the fish took advantage of an available food source. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Are people using different particles as well? But you I think you just No, it was using... it was just simply maize. It right. was buckets of maize. You know, they were fishing probably I would say 70 to 80 yards in what what we would term the middle of nowhere. There was some onion grass there, but they were doing that every night, if not every other night. 10 now, if you're putting 30, 40, 50 kilos of maize at 70 yards compared mm. to my six pounder yeah. <laughs> crafty catcher ready maids at 20 yards, 30 yards at the most, those fish just took advantage of the available food source you know, like when bernie loftus turned hairfield over on the um rich with ready-mades he, he you know he, he created a an available food source which the fish took advantage of it's not as easy nowadays because everybody's doing it but when only two people are baiting up maybe a tennis court sized area with bait and the rest of us are just baiting up to mark afloat at 30 yards with a spread of boilies there was only going to be one winner looking back. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. It it makes perfect sense to me. 
Um, uh, so again, I I retreated with my tail between my legs, and again that winter went back onto the um, Heineval, and it worked again. Um, I had quite a few fish on tiger nuts um, in the late autumn with condensed milk, which was something Tim put me on, and that was a that was a good that was a a, a, a very good attractor. Condensed milk, tiger nuts soaked in it till they were almost turning. That was a that was a good way of holding numbers of carp are found um but so it's high level and tigers that that sort of got again it was the, the better fish came to the high naval more fish came over the tigers but you know it was um it was another lesson learned that you took away in your back pocket you don't say and i've always done this i've never thought anybody was lucky i've never put my ass kicking me getting my ass kicked as down to anything other than my failings rather than their look and i just thought i know why they've caught those fish i can see it so did that make you change bait or change your baiting strategy what did you change um, it made me understand that simply higher quality bait competing against uh in in, in not much number competing against quantities of bait where fish haven't been mullered on quantities of bait um was not going to work it's easy to say now well yeah you know if everybody's filing in krill cell scope squid or whatever and it's been done to death for 10 years then somebody who goes in with a high quality bait may well turn it over but we're going back 33 years and those fish just took advantage of of something new and it's you know it's what i say to people about the percentage game in the olden days if you were first on tigers first on high attract hook baits first on long casting first on a boat first on anything you slayed them nowadays you can't be first on anything can you it's been done to death it's extremely difficult yeah it really is yeah. Yeah, yeah, so you can't get that big leap over everybody else. So it's like the guy who catches the most generally is doing more time, uh, more baiting up, more accurate, sharper. There's no one thing that is separating the successful now from decent anglers who are not as successful. I, I don't believe so. I, it's down to a number of things. Mm. In my belief, anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So, how long were you on the crafty catcher ready mates for? Oh, um, that <laughs> till till about July. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm daft, but I'm not that daft. You know, yeah. I only need kicking four or five weekends in a row before I realised that I couldn't compete with that sort of thing. Yeah. So I started fishing. Again, I, I moved away from where they were fishing. I started watching for fish. I started using the Heineval again, frozen in the flask. I couldn't compete in, with quantities of bait, but I just put it where I saw fish and overnighters. And again, I caught less fish, but definitely bigger fish on the on the high quality bait. You know, I think large numbers of fish were drawn to the maize, the huge boilies, etc etc but i i had to do what i had to do you know i had to compete on my own terms definitely yeah definitely so at this point there's there's still no one rolling those baits up that no no you know, no not that. at all and it, it was you know i rode my hind of valve and things like that but um 
it was it was it was getting there and i and i think for me the the big thing was and again you know these things happen and you it's only when you look back I, i'm sure many of the listeners to this will will remember the carp fisher magazine you remember the carp society's carp fisher yeah 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 now tim paisley used to do what was the big interview and he did it with a variety of people and one of the people was a guy called ian booker is that a name that rings a bell it does yeah yeah, yeah booker the hooker and he, he, we had this interview in there with Tim interviewed him, and I read the interview, and it said, you know, he was he was mass baiting with Robin Red Tesco carrier bags full of twenty mil, you know, Robin Red baits. And I remember during the interview, Tim put, you know, he questioned him. He says, yeah, that 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 first term, that first weekend, I had six twenties, and I thought, well, that's unlike Tim to, you know, to to allow that to creep in what he meant is that first season i had six twenties no it was that first 24 hours or weekend i forget he had six twenties wow. purely and simply on pre-baiting of a a food source the fish wanted and when i'd spoke to tim and tim said no no it was quantity of bait of a bait the fish wanted and it was what he called the available food source mm. Uh, and by then, I decided to change waters. And one of my local waters, which is a water called Drax. Now, back in those days, that was a that was a syndicate, a circuit water around us. It held carp to upper 20s, not quite 30s. I walked around the lake, watched the local lads. There were fish rolling everywhere and i mean everywhere and i've you know talked to lads and said you know it's oh it's a tough water this mate you know we're all on high protein baits we use about half a kilo a weekend uh, we're using size 10 hooks we're using multi-strand i'm thinking oh this rings a bell i was that guy fishing <laughs> small hooks high naval <laughs> little holes in the weed whilst getting my ass kicked by the guys fishing quantities of bait so um I, I took a leap of faith again from a lesson learned so i spent that close season rolling up sacks upon sacks of nutribates enovite brilliant bait really well respected lots of people would uh, love to see that brought back definitely it, yeah i know it is back now that you can get it now nutribates have brought it back is it? Uh, have you had a play with it? Is it the same as it no, was? I haven't, I, you know, I haven't, and you know, obviously, I, but I, I, you know, I, I can't imagine what you know. And this is the thing about the bait world: baits change as much because of the ingredients are not available anymore, are they? You can't exactly. get certain ingredients. I can't say that it's the same, but it is available, and I have to say. Obviously, Bill said, you know, he, he, Bill put the combination together. It was Enovite. It was five times size two eggs. It was six to eight drops of bergamot oil. It was, um, I think, two or three mils of sweet kajousa, uh, which was a superb yeah. ingredient. Um, and then it was Neutramino, which, again, was a... A superb ingredient, and we rolled probably five or six sacks. Um, and I would go down and put three triple mixes in. So, 
a mix was six eggs, three mix, a triple mix was 18 eggs. So one mix was five eggs, a triple mix was 15 eggs. So I was putting 45 eggs worth of bait out in uh, 1989, baiting up. That was very, very heavy for the time, right? Absolutely. I have, I mean, in those days, you only had Drennan feeder pole. We didn't have home, you know, we didn't have the quality catapults then. You, uh, there was no spotting or spawning. You would just, but we were only fishing at 40 or 50 yards. So I literally would find a weed bed, cast about, find a clear spot around it, and just simply muller it in the, I think it was 18 mils. So it wasn't, it wasn't too. It wasn't too bad. You weren't baiting up with fifteen millers. It was yeah. eighteen to twenty mills, and I have never seen um, a reception to bait then or since. Within three or four days, you would put a marker float out. You would bait up, and there were fish rolling over the marker float. It was just simply, and that had never been done. And literally, you filled you filled it in, and it was. Um, I've never seen anything like it. It, it was, I, I think I had 90 fish that um, that summer, you know, on a water that if you got 12 a year, it was good. Yeah, definitely. It just made it easy. It, it, yeah. I, I've never, never, never had fishing like that on a bait that made it so easy on that water. Just to veer off a little bit, I know this isn't on our, on our timeline that we're working through, but Hafes, obviously Robin Red is yeah. being used in the fishing industry. I'm sure some other bits from Hafes are being used. How did, because they were obviously a bird feed uh, company, still are. How did they kind of get on the scene? Well, I think they were, because obviously Hutchie, wasn't it? Hafes, mm. that's where I would imagine Rod got most of his bird seed ingredients, because obviously Lincolnshire, just down the road, Hafes are... Yeah. Grimsby area, um, word gets out. Nutribates obviously got their ingredients from Hayes, and that's where I—I I mean, I'm, I can't tell because I never saw where they got them. I would go to the factory and just pick up my bags of bait, you know, the the sacks of um, Enervite. Um, but I presume that's where—I mean, Nutribates would put the ingredients on the outside, but you didn't know what amount of ingredients was being you know what level or what you know percentages but i believe that's where i believe that's where the majority of bird seed bill will know better than anybody but i believe that's where the bird seed ingredients came from hayes and of course then hayes realized later on well we might as well make our own baits i mean hayes started making their own baits then yeah what i meant was i i mean i'm probably wrong but I think at that in those kind of well, where are we? We're very late eighties, aren't we? Early nineties. Yeah. Weren't people ordering like kind of direct from Hayes themselves? Anglers oh, yeah. were. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Some people were making their own baits direct from Hayes. Mm. Um, I, I always found I was happy to let to take bits out of the equation. So I was happy if Bill Cottam and Tim Paisley came up with Enervite. And I chucked it out and it caught me five times more carp than anybody else in a very short period of time. I was happy to take that as my, I don't need to make bait myself. I, I, you know, it's, making it yourself is hard enough. You know, it's um, rolling it when somebody else has given you all, well, we bought poor purchase, it was hard enough. To put it together was 
a step I didn't think I needed to do. But a lot of people did that. Yeah, I think a lot of people ordered direct from Hapes. I mean, there was if you pick up um, carp fisher in the 80s, you can buy these ingredients from a million, well, no, from dozens of different um, people who, who sold ingredients, you know, yeah. SBS pick up the catalogs you can buy they were obviously buying Robin Red from Hayes and then selling it to you <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah I just didn't know if they were really in the in the public eye I guess people found out that you know the likes of Nutribates were using them and, and probably went direct but yeah I think some did but to be honest at the time it, it was in those years there was always Nowadays, I think it's quite difficult to make a bad bait. Whereas back in those days, you, how many people made baits that just didn't work or whatever? Nowadays, it's a part of the equation that you don't, I don't really worry about. I don't think I've worried about bait for 25 years. I've, you know, you, you get your bait and, well, that's that bit of the equation sorted. I just need to find them, be there when they're feeding, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas in those days, whether the bait worked or not was a bit like, will the rig work or are there any carp in here? Or, you know, it was part of the equation that you were as likely to get wrong. You know, there's plenty of baits I've seen put together that people have had nothing on or had a result the first week and then failed. Yeah. 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 So we're in late eighties. Uh, you're using Enovite. Are you doing anything else to it? Are you adding liquids, anything like that? Well, I think one of the, yeah, I mean, it, that worked very well. And I think what, and again, a game changer for me was the Christ and Ambio. Yeah, yeah, again, if you go online, people used to say Ambio was simply um, a body, Neutramino. Uh, yeah, I can't say it was or it wasn't, but Dave Chilton wrote some very interesting stuff on a couple of fishing sites specifying why it wasn't the same as multimino etc etc in great graphic detail and explaining you just can't get this anymore and if he could he would be selling it but he couldn't because the distributors simply didn't make it anymore but that ambio was a massive uh, again another game changer for me for hook baits especially in the colder months so you're just literally drizzling some on your hook baits. Oh well, soak. I used to soak all my hook baits in it, and that made again a huge difference. Um, there was something in there was something in that ambio that carp really, really liked. Um, it was incredible. It it was it, again. It was one of those. I wish <laughs> there's not many things I wish we still got, but I suppose ambio the key. Uh, the original chocolate malt. There are certain things you think, oh, I wish I'd stockpiled that if it had still carried on. But yeah, that Christ Ambio was a game changer for me. It was a bit, you know, it it certainly caught me a lot of fish and a lot of big fish. And I mean, back back then, it, I mean, I wasn't using it back then. I wasn't fishing for carp back then. But how similar to Minamino was it? You know, was it well, a kind Minamino of raspberry? Wasn't out then. It wasn't out then. It, what you got, Ambio came out first. Right. And everybody else then said, well, it's like anything else, isn't it? You know, Nutribate brought out, you know, well, SBS brought out SBS, Cornish ice cream, strawberry jam, EA. Then that gets written about, everybody catches on it. So everybody brings out their own version, don't they? 
yeah which might or might not be the same and probably isn't at times so ambio came out first now i you know dave chilton is the only one who knows but everybody else started bringing out versions that appeared to be the same i can't say they were the same because i didn't own the rights to ambio or no but dave chilton specified in infinite detail why these raspberry flavored ones that appear to be similar were not the same interesting and the fact is that he couldn't sell it he, he, he couldn't sell it anymore which told me which backed up his story because if it was simply the ones that everybody else sold He'd have just simply kept bottling it in those Ambio bottles and saying, fill your boots, lads. But it literally disappeared because he couldn't couldn't get it anymore. So yeah. it's one of those where I tend to believe that, you know, unless you know, unless you have the rights to Ambio and could duplicate it, I think there's a lot of people made things which were pretty similar to Ambio. But I don't know. I'll be guessing. Mm, yeah. Okay, so... Then we're into early nineties, as I understand that you're you've moved on to bigger baits, twenty six millers. <laughs> you, you've upgraded from your eighteens. Yeah, again, again, impressionable, you know, yeah. and that's why I never ever, I avoid l making comments about people who are perhaps less experienced than us as anglers, being, uh, you know, jumping on the cell bandwagon the tigers bandwagon the spotting bandwagon because back in those days we were impressionable 1991 i was probably seven years into my carp fishing which seven years nowadays is a long way into your carp fishing because the availability of knowledge as you well know seven years in those years wasn't a lot because there wasn't youtube there weren't the you know there wasn't the information available that there is now so you were very impressionable and when i'd seen people like brian scoyles annihilating hard waters on the boily crumb and the big boy bay i thought well that's another you know another another way i can you know irrespective of whether i was doing well or something else if you see a new tactic you think you'll jump on it as well. But again, that's the impressionable side of things, isn't it? He was fishing the boily crumb. And I mean sacks of boily crumb with just 26 mil hook baits. But that works well if there's no roach bream tench there. Yeah. <laughs> um, when there are roach bream tench there, you get murdered. Absolutely murdered. Definitely. Yeah. So what's so you're using the 26 mil freebies alongside the crumb. Is that, is that yeah, right? uh, just a single bait over the crumb? Single oh, bait. I see. So you're not. Yeah. Sorry. Just ah. yeah, yeah, you, were, you were literally heaving in the crumb. So you've got it's like a spot cloud, isn't it? You know, again, that was a brown. You know, there's a number of people who are doing so well on waters and you think, well, I'll be the first in on that. And then you fill these waters in and you have bream after bream after especially when you're using betaine green lip muscle extract and it's just crumb you can imagine what that's like not fun no 126 mil hook bait loads of smell those bream yeah. just punish you so in the end i ended up just simply 
fishing 20, well, 24 to 26 mil baits, you know, so I took the crumb out the equation and just fished the large baits. Uh, and that, to a large extent, deterred the bream. If you fish one hook bait, eventually <laughs> the Lord, they will get you. But if you fish lots of 26 millers, I found that the carp would bully the bream out the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that, was, that, that was a very, very, again, a very effective way of catching less fish, but the bigger fish. It certainly sorted out for me on a number of waters I fish. Just fishing huge hook baits caught me bigger fish, but less fish. And that's when you're doing overnighters and you're not maybe just simply um, what I call a bounty hunter. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I, I like catching carp. I wasn't a bounty hunter. In fact, I'm not now. And sometimes catching three carp a night was much more fun than catching one big one every two weeks for me. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. And each to their own, isn't it? You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely no right or wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and your, the, the crumb that you're using, what, what bait are you on now? That was, again, that was big fish mix. It was simply, you know, we would roll it into, we, we'd make the, the mix, but then we're so hand rolling it, make sausages uh, uh, and then just boil them and then just literally just um, stick it through uh, food processors and blenders. You know, how many of my mother's food processors <laughs> and blenders I root? It wasn't too bad with big fish mix because that was quite a soft bait, but you would just make literally hundreds of sausages chop them into like licorice sticks that would just about fit in your mum's food processor mm. and burn the motor out over a week or two <laughs> you know but thank you i mean i've lost my mum years ago but my god i think the things i did to my mother and father's kitchen kitchen equipment electricity bills boilers that I just would not allow anybody to do to my house. Yeah. I think, God, we were so spoiled. So you that's what you man. did. You just take these sausages in. You then just make these bags of crumb. So you'd, you'd you know, you make all, them all up. You stick them in the freezer. You would then probably fishing weekends, you'd take them out on the Thursday night and the Friday morning, uh, and then you'd just give them an hour or two to start uh, de defrosting. You would then um, just stick them through the food processor, and we were taking bags of crumb down, you know, three, four, five kilo bags of, of crumb down, um, and uh, sp still spodding it, wasn't spodding? Yes, sp spod it, spodding it out and fishing over that, and my God, it did create, a, it was a very effective method if there weren't nuisance fish there. Very nutritional bait as well, wasn't it? The big fish mix. Fantastic bait. Absolutely yeah. fantastic bait. Yeah, fantastic bait. Yeah. And then you kind of moved on to the Enovite Gold mid-90s? Mid uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Enovite Gold was, um, again, it was um, a lot of people on the fish meals uh, and again, you're impressionable, you know, fish meals in the summer, bird seas in the winter. But I thought, you know, I spend all summer because I, I tried to fish one water a year. I might in the depths of winter go to Willow Park or somewhere like that. But generally, I try and, you know, campaign fish one winter, one fish all winter. And I just think, well, I bait up all spring, summer, autumn and then flip flop onto another bait. I could do with a bait that I can use all year round. And obviously, Enovite Gold was the one. Um, 
that you could use all year round. It was good in the summer and it was particularly good in the winter. Um, and uh, that's the beta went on. Um, and again, fort fortuitously, um, I went to Three Lakes one day and it would it was probably it was about 93, 94, because I'd written when you write books in those days, everything was handwritten. Now, handwriting 120,000 words is hard work. Yeah. Especially when you've got a job, you've got magazines to edit, etc., etc. And I literally used to say to myself, from March till June, July, I am not going to go fishing. I am simply going to write every single night. Home from work, three hours of writing, and that's that, that's a discipline. <laughs> That, that is a discipline and it takes yeah. dedication. But I mean, your writing skill must have improved exponentially yeah. from doing that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah it, it did. And I remember finishing the book off Practical Carp Fishing and I went down. I thought, you know what? I'm going to have a, 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 a midsummer to winter on three lakes. And as I turned up, there was a guy and he'd had one of the bigger fish. And nice guy. I think he's called Andy Mansell. Andy, anyway. And he got the fish out and um, he was in his bivvy and this smell came out of his bivvy and it was a, like the best chocolate smell ever. Mm. It, it just it just smelled like a chocolate factory. And I said, God, what is that smell? Oh, he went, it's, a, it's chocolate malt. And I said, really? And it was just boilies. It wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a flavour bottle. And the boilies, you know, when you smell something, you just think, Wow, that and I says, What's that? And he says, Yeah, chocolate malt. Now, I can't remember, I think it was Nashies with the green Nashies, but I says, Well, that's a good flavor. He says, Yeah, do really well on it. And I thought, I don't know why, I just instead of using the um, uh, SBS EA flavors, I thought, You know what? That's a really good musky smell. And I went in with, I think, seven mils of, of um, chocolate malt in a five. Five um five egg mix. Uh, spoke to Gary Bays. Uh, Gary Bays said you need to mix it with chocolate powder palatant, which smoothed it off. Uh, I went in with a Cotswold Bates milk B. So it was literally five size two eggs, Enervite gold, seven mil of chocolate malt, chocolate powder palatant, which was like a, a Horlicks but tasting of chocolate. What a what a bait that was! What a smell! And yeah. I've never known a better winter bait for just holding, you know, fish. You could literally use it in winter, like you could could in summer. I was putting pound a night out, two pound a night out in the depths of winter, mm. and dragging and it, fish round, dragging the fish. Around. It was going in one end, coming out the other end. You literally. As the fish were moving, you were baiting up and you were catching them within minutes on the coldest of overnighters. Again, for a winter bait, I've never seen a winter bait that I've managed to put so much in for so long on so many different waters and catch so many carp. And this wasn't Hutchie's um, no, chocolate no. malt. This was this was uh, Nash's, and I, I, know, I only know that because obviously, I when you're a writer, you have to take pictures of everything. And I've mm. got a picture of 
of, and it's my dad, because obviously I, I, you, you need somebody to take the pictures of you with the thing. So I said, Dad, just put my Diawa jacket on and I've, I've got the picture. I'll take a picture of you. Um, with, with the, and it was, uh, it was, it was Nash's because it was the green label, uh, chocolate malt. I think it was a Nutribates yellow colouring, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it was, it was the, um, but I think then weren't Nashy and Hutchie very close. And I would think that, yeah. I think Kev probably had the same access to flavours that Rod had. Yeah, I think you're right there. Yeah, yeah. Judging and by, what um... a flavour. Yeah, what an, what an attractor that was. And and just to touch upon the Enervite Gold, obviously that was based on yeah. on the standard Enervite, which had Robin Red in. Was yeah. it sold as exactly the same minus? Oh the no, Robin they Red, took, it was the yellow bait. It, it was just yeah. I think didn't I think Lockie did it um, a Savé seed mix. He did a yellow yeah. seed mix and a red seed mix. In effect, I think uh, Enervite Gold was the yellow seed mix. So it was um niger seed it was it was in effect it was a very sweet tasting um there was nothing red about the bait at all it was all in effect yeah. yellow white yellow but again in one end and out the other what an incredible bait that was hmm. and, and probably still is who knows yeah, sure yeah and then you moved on to the uh the boilix <laughs> Yeah, Nutribase, Biolux, Biolux. Biolux. Oh, yeah. Now, again, it was, it's, you know, I, mean, I should know better. So 1998, I'm what, I'm probably, I'm, I'm 35 then. But like everyone, still impressionable, you know, and you, 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 I've done so well on this, I've done so well on that. And then, you know, what happens during the close seasons? You talk to people, don't you? And like, oh, yeah, that's, you know. Big fish mix is good and Enervite gold's good, but you know, it is possible to put together a better bait. And I think it was Dave Moore who, you know, we, we were talking about earlier. Dave, I think Dave Moore potentially put this bait together. You know, I may be doing a disservice to Bill, but I have a feeling that this was something to do with Dave Moore. And it was a meat and bone based. It was it was a, a completely different kind of bait. It wasn't a protein mix casein lactalbum and things like that nor was it a fish it was a complete it was meat and bone meal it was an alternative protein and so obviously this is very different for from what the carp are used to seeing how did you oh, get on with that bait did it incredible uh, again yeah. another, i mean we it was it was um if you just give me one second i'll grab it now yeah sure Nutribate, <laughs> not very professional, but uh, no, no, that's good. Here, I have the recipe from 1998. Oh, here wow, it, yeah, here it is, and it's covered in in the so this was the mix, it was the Biolux, uh, plus betaine, seaweed, and kelp. It was for five like for the Biolux, it was four gram of betaine. 20 gram of kelp and 20 gram of um of seaweed and for five large eggs it was seven and a half mils of kelp extract as well five mils caviar flavor uh, half a mil black pepper oil 25 mil corn steep liquor five mil molasses and one mil of sweet kajousa um very very different to what everybody else was using Mm. 
a very dark, rich, uh, moist bait that again was phenomenal. Just it was one of those where you couldn't put more bait out than anybody else. One fish meal was very much like another fish meal. You were running out of advantages on the bait front unless you went totally different. You know, you couldn't. There were bait wars on there. People were using nasting mix people were using the grange people using big fish mix and the only way that really you could find an advantage was going um being different for want of a better word and that was that was again another phenomenal bait it reminded me very much of uh, nash's key bait very much of that you know an alternative bait when you say it reminded you of the key bait, just because the key is was very different from everything very else around, or very dark yeah. spirulina in it, seaweed, just you know, when you pick up baits nowadays, it's either a fish meal, isn't it, a bird seed, and there's not a lot in different. <laughs> it's you walk You're into right. tackles, it's one of the, one or the other, isn't it? And it was in those days. It was a fish meal, or it was a yellow or a red bird seed, or maybe a protein mix. There was nothing much different in quantity, was there? I agree. Very much the same now, as you say. You see, most people really, they're either on a nut bait or a, or a fish meal, aren't they, really? Maybe a bird Absolutely. food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, the literature, and again, it, three of us went in on it, because I think if just one person had gone in on it, it wasn't going to make... It could have made a difference. But when you get three of you putting in oh, 40 kilos, 60 kilos a week, yeah, again, it just dominated the water. I'm not saying other people didn't catch. They did. But without a shadow of a doubt, fish were coming to that bait. Yeah, I do not doubt Providing it. you put it where they were naturally. And this is the one thing about bait. Maybe people will disagree with me, but I find the most important thing is to find where they are naturally going to be and where they will pick bait up. I don't think you can just simply say, I'm going to pick this swim, I'm going to fill it in, and I'll put that much in, they'll come to me. I, I don't find that's a good premise to a baiting campaign at all. No, I think it's it's very, very hard, particularly on the bigger waters. I mean, yes. a could just never come across it. You could be piling your bait up on the bottom and nothing is eating it so yeah well, i agree with you absolutely but, but again i took that on three or four different waters then of course what happened we had the um the um mad cow disease and you were not allowed to import uh meat and bone meal yeah and that ended that bait yeah yeah very sad. It, it never sold well because it had what looked like bollocks written on it when it was actually bollocks you just couldn't sell it because of what it looked like. And then, of course, as soon as the um, you stopped being able to import meat and bone meal, it killed the vital ingredient of that base mix. And if you look around in that time, if you look late 90s, mid to late 90s, there were a lot of alternative base mixes being developed that three or four years later were not being developed anymore because a lot of the ingredients were not available anymore because of the uh banning on certain things mad cow disease yeah absolutely uh, yeah i agree I, I i'm sure someone told me i don't know if it was bill or yes yeah. 
I think it was Bill. I'm sure they called it the the Biolux or Boilux on purpose to make it sound yeah. like the bollocks. I'm sure that yeah, was a thing. But yeah. Perhaps, perhaps yeah, problem. But unfortunately, it's a sort of... <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's sort of, it, it's not like FC UK. I mean, I think when you had those, there was that rage on FC UK. Yeah, now that was. could have either taken off or been a complete dead yeah. duck, but it took off. Yeah. Uh, the Biolux was, again, one of those great baits. I would I would never have any qualms if, if it was available using again, if that was part of, you know, my bait armory. But it, it won't be, and I don't think it can be. It's, you know, it's um it's the way it is, isn't it? Yeah. And then Trigger is on the scene at, at this point, is it? Yeah, Soon yeah, after? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nutribates then, of course, without a shadow of a doubt, in the, in the, and Bill will tell you this, in the naughty, in the late, well, certainly in the 90s, probably to the early noughties, Nutribates were one of the biggest. Bait I agree. Firm. Yeah, the best, <laughs> I were, think. Yeah, there was Rich, the, you know, Richworth had their, obviously, had their, uh, their audience. Mainline were big and getting bigger, but I really it was mainline and Nutribates and Premier that were the big, big boys. Um, and Nutribates had to keep making baits, had to keep coming up with new ideas. And one of the ones, and I mean, Bill did an amazing, I don't know if that still is available, that, that the Trigger interview. And that's true, that Trigger. The only thing, again, it didn't work for me. Trigger... I did find was very big fish specific. So when I'm doing my overnighters, you know, I'm doing two or three overnighters and going to work. Now, not quick overnighters. <laughs> my overnighters were getting there at six o'clock at night and packing up at six in the morning. I love catching carp. I'll confess, I, you know, I'd rather catch four 17 pounders than 125. You know, it, it, it's a carp to me. And I found with Trigger, all of a sudden, I was getting bites every other night. It was a better fish, but it certainly was big fish specific. And Brian Scholes will tell you that as well. You know, he caught less fish, but bigger fish on it. It definitely there was something in that again, results that Trigger caught less fish, but the bigger ones. Yeah, I think. I think that's the way it goes for for certain baits. I really, really do. Particularly the kind of more nutritional baits, let's say, um, higher protein levels, etc. I think there's definitely yeah. a pattern there. Uh, and um, that, that that was without a shadow of a doubt. I, and it's only when you look back. I look at my. <laughs> this makes me sound really old. I have slides, of course, and I look at the thickness of my slide albums, and I can tell how how good a year was <laughs> by looking hmm. at how many sheets of slides I've got in and I look at sort of 2000 which is when I was using trigger and there's probably only about 10 or 15 um you know sheets with slides in them and then I look at the years that I use trigger ice and the the album the, the, you know the the folder they're in is bulging mm. yeah it, 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 <laughs> now to some people they don't want that they would prefer to be big fish specific and yeah. trigger was was that way but then trigger ice um was it didn't seem to catch any less bigger fish but it also caught yeah. many more fish and at what point did you make the switch away from from nutribates onto nash um 2000 and uh 2010 2012 
I mean, I've been with, you know, again, I always try and I'm always honest about these things. And I was with Nutribates from uh, from well before they were Nutribates. You know, I was using the addicts and things like that, paying for them for many, many years, um, probably until about 93. I was paying for my bait, mm. you know, you know, and you know, I would say that Nutribates did very well out of my writing, but <laughs> I accepted sure. that was part of it. And then um, I remember talking to Brian Garner, who was um, one of the partners, and he said something to me once, and uh, he said, you've never sold a kilo of bait in your life, son. Uh, and I thought, no, I've never walked to a tackle shop and sold a kilo of bait, Yeah, but it doesn't work like that. And I had... I think a year on Nash when Nash first started. I didn't want to change bait companies, but you don't need to have your face slapped. Uh, Brian Garner then left and Skiddy joined, and you know I went back to Nutribates. I was with Nutribates till 2011, 2012. Now I was a Nash. I was a Nash, you know, consultant or Nash sponsored angler for all those years, and Kev. What a lovely bloke. He always said to me, you know, you really should be on Nash, but I respect your loyalty more than I respect you not coming to us. He says, I, you know, I understand and I respect people who are loyal. So you're an idiot for staying with them. You should be, you know, Kev obviously believed that Nash bait was the best thing ever, but I do respect your loyalty. Um, and it got to the stage where I think Bill will tell you, you know, Nutribate started to struggle. Um, I got my bait for free from the late 90s onwards. It was rolled by rolling baits and them. And I never forget, I got an email from Bill one year and it said something like, um, you'll have to pay to have your baits rolled. I kept the email. Um and I said to Bill, I says, I'm sorry, Bill, I'll, you know, and people can think of this, whatever they want. I will never pay to have my baits rolled, you know, with the amount of work I do for the company and have done. Yeah. Um, and I said to Kev, you know, Kev, um, I'll move on to Nash bait. Now, that's the way it was. You know, I can't be more frank and honest than that. You know, um, I'm a very loyal guy. You know, people have offered me twice the money to go from Nash to other companies. Mm. Uh, it's not about the money. It's about to me, it's about confidence in what I'm doing and loyalty to people who've supported me. Um, so I felt that I could step away without feeling I'd let a friend down. Yeah, but but obviously kept on good terms with Bill as well, right? I always kept on good terms with Bill, and I said to Bill, look, you know, if you if you if you go through the magazines now and I do a throwback Thursday, you'll never see me forgetting which baits I caught stuff on. Yeah. Now, how many anglers? nowadays forget the bait they had fish on six months ago never mind 10 years ago yeah you know you look at my throwback thursdays i'll talk all about ambio i'll talk about enervite gold i'll talk about jeff kemp's protein mix um and i said to bill says you know i'll never forget what i did for you and you did for me and when i come to write stuff I won't say I caught on a fish meal. It'll be big fish mix if I used it. So I don't want to, it's fishing. It's not a cure for cancer. It's not mm. life or death. You know, Absolutely. if people want to fall out with me, it won't because of what I've done to them. So, you know, I stayed friends with Bill. I'm sure it was difficult because, you know, I've gone from one bait firm to another, but not once will you find writing that says, and I think Nash bait is better than Nutribates. This is a better bait than I've ever used before. If I ever see that, 
I just oh, it's terrible stuff, isn't it? Yeah, embarrassing. I it might happens say, as well. It does happen. Oh God, I, I might mm. say that I think the key is the best bait I've ever used. But really? I will also say, yeah, that. Remember, I'm using Scopic Squid. So somebody might say you're slapping Bill in the face. I'm also slapping Nash in yeah. the face. Yeah. You know, because I'm saying I try and be honest about stuff, and people will. You know, I always say to somebody before they follow somebody or take somebody's word as gospel, go and look what he was saying a year before, three mm. years ago, six years ago, before you start. <laughs> this is the best thing since sliced bread. Mm, most definitely. So, you know, but, that, that, that's 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 so I, obviously I went to Nash in 2012. And you what what bait were you starting on then? Straight out the first bait I went on was it was a monster squid, which was um a lot of um a lot of Nash baits that time were either based around Monster Pursuit yeah. or Scopex Squid. So yeah. I would imagine that Monster Squid was a combination of the two. Yeah, <laughs> I I used Monster Squid. I can't remember what it was like to be honest. It's <laughs> too long ago for me, but it was uh I'm sure it was a variation of a Scopex Squid. I'm sure it was. It was Monster Pursuit. I'm sure it was part of Monster Pursuit crossed with part mm. of Scopex Squid. And again, I did very well on that. But again, it was a time, and it's not so much now, but it was a time where people wanted to change bait every year. And I'm baffled by that. Every year, people want a new bait. Mm. And so all of a sudden, and Nash's bait range was, he probably had five different types of Scopex or squid. So there's Tangy squid, Scopex squid, squid EE, squid, yeah, <laughs> Scopex oh, squid sauce. red. Yeah. And there was too many in the range. And now when you're a big bait firm, when you are stopping the rollers to make 100 kilos of a less selling, it doesn't make sense, business no. sense, it doesn't make sense. No, and no, eventually Nashi had so many baits that every time you had to stop the rollers for the big sellers, it was costing him. You know, you, you were diluting the range. And I would think that Mainline had the same too. If you look at the Mainline range, mm. they had a one time, they must have had 10 or 15 different kinds of baits, stroke base mixes out. And now they focus the bait, you know, the baits onto well, there are certainly less now, certainly. I mean, I'm not a mainline user, but you don't have the ranges that you had in 94, 95, 96, 97, do you? No, definitely. It's it's common sense and it's just business. I mean, good successful restaurants will do the same. They, you know, Absolutely. you go to these restaurants or pubs and there's like 20 different mains, and it's like, Christ, how like, how do they keep on top of all that? And it's just uh yeah, it's things are gonna slip, aren't they? I think do a few things and do them very well. And that's you uh, yeah. a winner. Yeah, and you have to do it. And it is the fishing business. And much as though I wish chocolate malt was available and the key was available and, you know, Del Kim's are available and AKN alarms were available, you know, and all that. Yeah. It's a, there are two sides to the bait. One, well, there are three sides. One, it has to catch carp and it has to catch carp for the masses. Number two, it has got to be profitable to continue with the business. Um, you know, and it has got to make business sense. You know, yeah. you cannot you cannot just keep making baits that satisfy a small percent. Otherwise, your bait, for, you, you know, you will go under. 
you have to compete and make lots of bait that catches carp for the masses. That's the reality of the fishing business. And thirdly, the ingredients have to still be available because you, I mean, you know baits ten times over what I do. Ingredients become unavailable. I'm sure. Most definitely, yeah. It's it's everything I bring out. I have to think, you know, realistically, am I going to be able to get, to keep getting that? And I'm a very small business, you know. It, it's mm. obviously even more so for the bigger guys. Um, yeah, it's I think a real it's become thing. unavailable all of a sudden. We haven't got that anymore, or now, it changes. Yeah, or it, change. or it changes. You know, so whether we've not got it or it changes, it's one and the same for me. And you know, it becomes very difficult. And I think some bait ranges are discontinued because they cannot get the ingredient or the whatever it was that w- was the magic yeah. side to that. Yeah. And there are others where baits just simply do not catch on with the public. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you want your bait firm to continue, then you have to be able to keep selling baits that the public buy. Whether you think they're brilliant or crap, if the public are buying them in in numbers, that's what keeps the factory open, the people employed, the tackle shops. You know, tackle shop. If your bait is sat there for month in, month out, and isn't selling, no tackle shop is going to allow that bait to sit there. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, that, that's the reality of the fishing business. Yeah. So you're on some variant of the squid. The yeah. key then comes out. Obviously, you rated that very highly. When did that? That was sort of early 10, 2000. I would say, yeah, no, no, two, it probably came two, yeah, two, it was out 2000, probably 13, 14, maybe, because right. Curly was using it. It was not called the key then. I think it was called the key, key seven or key six, because it was certain there were a certain number of ingredients that were in it that were that were found. It was I think it was designed by Keith Sykes. Or, yeah, it was. I believe it yeah. was. I don't remember it being called the key seven or anything like that, though. No, but no, when it was a test bait. Oh, was, I see. Oh, I see. It was sent to me and a number of us. And I was doing so well on Monster Squid or whatever. And this bait came and it was like, it's, it's what it's like, oh, I don't want to be changing baits again. And it was sort of a greeny, blacky. It didn't, you know, it didn't look over appealing. But then Simon Crow is very cute when it comes to getting on baits early. And he got on that key. And that year he used the key. I think he had big fish from so many different waters. And I just thought, there's something in this. Because I know how Simon fishes. I know what his rigs are, where he fishes. And he just said to me, there's something about this bait, Jules, that is an incredible bait. And I thought, do you know what? I'm not impressionable anymore. I'm probably, I was probably getting on for 50 then. I thought, you know, I, but there was something about it. And I took that key and I took it to a water that I took started taking it to waters that had never seen it. Now, the advice was for the key was to use less, use it sporadically, and it, it works well. And I thought, Ah, I, I think there's more to it this and i instead of using it you know sparingly i took it in 12 mil and i would fish a kilo a night and then a kilo wasn't enough and it was two kilos three kilos now that was all right because obviously i get it without paying for it 
financially, but obviously the work you do is far more work yeah. on a pad. You know, if you worked out the rate of hours you put in writing shows, conferences, talks, podcasts, social media, your bait is not free by a long way. And I was absolutely slain waters on it. Park Lake, syndicates, clubs. Uh, it, it made, again, it was all our text. It was like Enervite. It made carp fishing easy. Mm. If you could find the carp and put it where they were, they would not leave till it was all gone. L literally, it's probably one of the only baits that I've ever thought, when I'm not getting bites, it has all gone. The carp's mouths were black because it was a very dark green, blacky sort of bite. It was... It was a game. It was a game. It was one of those things. It was like I didn't want to go fishing without it. It was almost like somebody sending me fishing without the hair rig or without a buzzer or without a sharp hook. It was like when the key was discontinued, I felt like my arm was being taken off me. Did we, I mean, you might want, not want to say, which is absolutely fine, of course, but no, did you ever kind of find out, did Gary ever mention what, was the active component of that or, or Keith ever mention it or anything? No, no did, I mean, there was spirulina in there. There was a number yeah. of ingredients in there. I, again, I, I was one of those guys was, if you tell me it works, it works. And mm. my album's full of pictures. I don't need to know precisely what's in it. But the reality was that people were not buying it. And I find it quite difficult because... I was going to lakes and I'm a very open angler. I don't have secrets. Secret, my only secret is hard work and graft. And I, there were people catching, I don't know, 10 carp, 15 carp a year. I was catching that in 24 hours. And I was saying, look, guys, they're eating the key to the exclusion of everything else. Go and buy a bag of key fish off my back. I haven't got a problem. I don't need to catch them again or more of them. And I'd see the guys that turn up with three bags of instant attraction strawberry crush. I'd say, well, what, what are you doing? Well, it was on three for two. So I can either buy one yeah, kilo yeah. of the kiln <laughs> yeah. or three kilos of instant. I said, but they're not eating it in the same amount, guys. And unfortunately, the general public were the same. You know, we are not going to spend £15 on a kilo of a key when we can get three kilos of a ready-made we are not going to buy sharpened hooks when we can get two packets of just out the packet hooks yeah and it's the fishing business and i get it and you know people were not buying it irrespective of how many carp were being caught on it people there is a threshold to what people will spend on bait there is I agree. I sell an expensive. In fact, I only sell expensive bait, really. And uh, yeah, I agree. But I mean, people will happily spend a bloody fortune on the latest tackle and change the That's alarms great. and all that. The bait is one of the things that really matters, because if the carp don't want to eat it, you're not catching them, are you? I, 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 I go into fishing tackle shops and I see people walking and they will say, they will say, have you got any Scopex squid 15 mil or have you got any RGB baits Atlantic krill in 15? And they'll go down and say, oh, no, we haven't. But we've got it in next week. The guy will then walk out with an alternative. So he'll buy some sticky baits krill in 15 or some bait works 15. 
you know, uh, uh, this isn't knocking either of those. No. If I go in and cannot get the bait I want, the size I want, the type I want, I'll go somewhere where I can get it. But there are a huge percentage of those that keep the tackle shop open, the yeah. bait business going, that say, if I can't have that, then I'll have that. And they will say, well, no, I that I am not spending £15 a kilo on that. When I can get that, I can get two kilos of it for that price. And you, and the, you know, that, that's that's the reality of the bait business. Mm. As you well know. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, absolutely. I understand. And I mean, do you know what? On the flip side, for some people, it doesn't matter. They just want a bit of bait to go fishing and you know perhaps it's not all about the you know there's all that side of it and um yeah oh, i agree i agree fully i mean i ride a thousand pound boardman bike now that in effect is like the larder yeah. of the pushing push bike world i ride it i ride all day at 17 miles an hour i don't clip in I don't have an aerodynamic bait, a uh, 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 water bottle, because I am. I don't want that. Yeah, I've got friends who spend seven grand on a push bike and will ride all day at twenty-one miles per hour. So in effect, I'm the guy that says I just want a bike yeah. that will propel me at a speed I'm happy, or I want a bait that will catch me carp. And no, I'm not spending six grand on a Pinarello, nor am I spending sixteen quid a kilo on the key you know and i get that fully and you know and that that's what you know makes the bait world go round well, that's what keeps fishing tackle businesses open which to be fair is a good thing because we'd all be very Absolutely. sad if, if these shops shut you know and i know many have and it is a very you know it's just it's terrible really but um yeah, anyway. oh, you know, you know, and I'm all for it. You know, Nash have simplified their range for 2024. You know, they had the instant attraction range. You've got six or seven baits in it. You've got them pop ups. You've then got plume juices. You've then got ready made. You've then got shell. You have got a massive range. So for 2024, there will be simply three baits. There'll be a fish mail. There'll be a cold water food bait, and then there'll be scopet squid. The range is simplified. Is that right? Is it? Wow. Yeah. So scopet squid will be exactly the same. You know, this is a first. This is you've heard it here first on a podcast. Scopet <laughs> squid will be unaltered, completely unaltered. The only change is the cultured hook baits will come in pots rather than plastic bags. It'll be a different packaging, exactly the same bait. Citrus will stay exactly the same. It'll be hook baits only, pop-ups, etc. And the citrus attractors at a level, it's not for me to disclose, will be within a food bait that you can use in the winter. And there'll be a, a fish meal bait as well. So Nash, the Nash bait range will be three, three. Wow. For simplified, because that's how the business model works. You know, it's a massive business. If you turn the rollers off that are rolling thousands of kilos of scopet squid and say we need to put 100 kilos of amber tractor or whatever else, it doesn't make business sense, especially if scopet squid is catching so many carp, you know, or the cell is catching or sticky krill is catching or sticking, you know. It's got to make business sense because if it doesn't make business sense, you're going to go in and the krill isn't available anymore. Scopet squid isn't available anymore. It's got to be a business sense. Mm. 
Absolutely. And I mean, I think they're obviously those three baits are the, the ones that catch the most fish, aren't they? Presumably. So it's. Well, yeah, I mean, those, that, you know, Scopex will catch anywhere. They, they have to have a coarse fish meal bait. And for years, we've been saying we want a, we want a bait that we can feed in winter, not in super big quantities, but a feed bait, a food bait that you can put in the colder months that you can use all winter by pre-baiting, baiting up, you know, citrus isn't a bait that you would bait up with it is a high attract bait and funny enough and again part of the attractors in the citrus bait and it's been documented are from um contain milk bee one of the attractors in the citrus bait is milk bee right see so i'm not familiar with citrus at all i know it's a it's more of a high attract yeah it's a bright high attract yeah um hook bait stroke you can buy a kilo of it it's you know it's a high attract it's a cold water bait mm. um but they, they've simply said we need obviously a food bait that people can go fish you know rather than just fishing single hook baits so that would be their third bait you know that so when you walk in and see the nash range you will have those three superb superb and these cut the other thing that confused me <laughs> yeah. these cultured baits you just mentioned them did that came about off the back of the key or have i got that confused no i, th I think cultured was well i, I, I think yeah to be, you you could well be right because i you know the cultured hook bait seemed to come around when the key was released didn't it it was about yeah, I think the same so. time yeah. um and i know that um that, again i've used the cultured hook bait is exceptionally good but you've got to be obviously be careful where you use it because of the soft outer surround. You've got to think about what happens with your presentation when the surround is gone. How does it affect it? Nuisance fish, etc. What kind of angler are you? Think of the size of the bait. Um, but it is a very effective bait when used in the right, like any bait, as you well know, when used correctly. And I know that a lot of the lads use the cultured hook baits and actually baited up with them and fished over the top of them. So didn't just use them as hook baits, but actually yeah. use them as free offerings. Wow. So yeah, the, the cultured hook baits, but they originally came in probably in about 15 in, in like a sealed plastic bag, you know, the, the, the sealed bags, but now they're available in hook bait, you know, pots as well. So again, they are an advantage in the right time. They, they were you could get citrus hook baits you could get key cultured hook baits and you could get scopic squid cultured hook baits again right place right time a massive advantage like paste is you know paste is a superb advantage yeah. but not if you're fishing a rud roach brood mm. <laughs> brood bream filled water in the summer like maggots and worms you know mm. it's a bait is only as good as the person using it in the right place aren't isn't it most definitely yeah so you've taken us through all these different baits from the yeah. mid 80s present day what what is it you're fishing with in summer scopet winter squid. i mean i use scopet squid in the summer um it's one of those baits and when gary bait because you know coming off the key was like oh you've taken me off the herring you've taken off my right arm and yeah. gary bait said trust me says this is a very effective bait and it's one of those baits that every year gets better and better and better and i've noticed i've fished probably three or four different waters and it's just got better and better there you know i mean i'm a frozen bait fan i've always been a frozen bait fan uh, from day one um, and that's what I use. I use the um, squid, scopet squid all year round 
in the winter time, I use it in flake. Um, I, I use higher tracks over the top of it. Um, I've been using the uh, new cold water test bait last year. Uh, again, exceptionally good results on it. So it's very likely that from now onwards, I'll be using Scopet squid from March onwards and the uh, cold water food bait in the winter. And that's I like a, to the food, yeah. That that's kind of a an amalgamation of the citrus and a food type winter bait, is it? The, it's, the it's very, when you squeeze it, it's very soft. It crumbs down very easy. It's I would say the attractors are less attractors than the normal citrus, but it certainly smells very citrusy. But and absolutely, it's one of those baits you can put in like your Enervite goals, and you can feed in winter without overfeeding the fish. You know, I do like to put a bit of food out there in winter, certainly when I leave. I, I like to, because I do think once you start feed it, stop feeding them in winter, I, on a number of waters, it mm. dies a death. Yeah, yeah, definitely. As, you know, I mean, we're not talking about your braise nose and your linears. Yeah, your yeah, of course, yeah. It, if you are fishing your standard syndicate waters where angler pressure drops off, the fish retreat into certain areas, less people are fishing. I think once bait stops going out, I think fish just say, right, we I always think of it as like people in an old folks home. If you stop feeding them, they will just sit in the chair all day and will they'll turn their, you know, their body rate down to survive as we, you know, if, as you as you and I would do. You don't move around. You will last a lot longer. If you keep running around looking for food that mm. isn't there, you will die. Yeah, absolutely. If they don't have a need to, that they, they will shut yeah. things down. Yeah, absolutely. They will right. shut things down. So you, I, yeah. you know, that, that that's why I do like a food. I mean, I used to bait up with the Scopex squid flake, you know, and things like that. I did like to put a bit of food out there, mm. but this. This new one they've done is very soft. It, you can literally squeeze it into a penny piece in your hand. It's just, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to big something no. up that I've not used enough. Yeah. It worked for me well last year. Over two or three years, I'll be able to give the, you know, I, I don't want to one of these people, it's best thing since sliced bread. Yeah. I've been using it a month. <laughs> like no you're just undoing all your credibility somewhere <laughs> all those yeah. years of catching all those fish and you have now just it's like solubles how many people did podcasts on solubles best things it sliced bread when was the last time you heard anybody talk about solubles yeah long and long gone aren't they <laughs> yeah <laughs> they've only been out six months and it was you know they, they were game changers you know there was podcasts galore on them i haven't yeah. heard them mentioned no it's a funny old game, isn't it? But um, yeah. it is. It's a fantastic game, and I, you know, I love the bait game. But I do, you know, I think people forget that the bait game isn't just the bait you put together. It's about where you put it, how you put it, how you apply it. it it's, it's, you know, it's, it's. I think people just go. In the olden days, we said, "Well, I've got the best percentage protein bait, so I've got the best bait going." And and that was a naive approach. But nowadays, when I think of bait, I think it's no different to location. You can locate carp, but it doesn't mean they're feeding. You've got to locate them 
and catch them, you've got to put the right rig, the right bait, the right time. You've got to be there at the, the right loc um, the right timing. And it's the same with bait. You can't just turn up with a great bait and expect to catch carp. Exactly. You've yeah. got to, there are so many facets to the bait, aren't they? And I think people just get mixed up with bait. Bait isn't just that round thing that you take out the packet. It's so many more facets to it, which is what makes it so enthralling. Absolutely. I mean, you're absolutely right. You, you have to be in the best plate. You could have the best yeah. plate in the world. If you're not in front of the carp, you know, they're simply not going to eat. Or if you're not presented correctly and it's not yeah. going to, there's, there's a lot of things that have to come together for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, as I said, you know, I learned that from all those years ago. Everything, every single thing I do now is based as much around the mistakes as I made as it is as the successes I've had. So, you know, getting a very high quality high naval and putting 40 baits out on a water that was 27 acres full of weed with probably 120 carp when the guy next to me was spotting out crap, but he had got the fish on it. My high protein bait was a great bait, but it wasn't what the fish wanted where they were in quantity. So, you know, it's, I had the better bait, mm. but on its own, I, I was not, I, I was not fishing effectively. Mm. Which is why fishing is so enthralling, maddening, obsessional. On you can't understand it. it <laughs> you know it, it, that's why it's that's why we're still in love with it, isn't it? It's not. So. Yeah, it's not arithmetic where one and one is only two. It can't be two and a half or one and three quarters. One plus one is two. But bait isn't like that, is it? Nor is fishing. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I really enjoyed that. That was uh, oh, that was you. a really good rundown of uh, of your your bait over the years. I enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. I think yeah, I've really enjoyed that. I've you know I've tried to be, you know, I am a Nashkin brand ambassador. Not I'm a brand ambassador, which is <laughs> when you get old, you cease to be a consultant. You become a brand ambassador. <laughs> you know, so footballers cease to be footballers. They're brand ambassadors for Man United yeah. or Man City. So I'd like to think that you know what. What I've said is the truth, and it's it's you know there's no I'm trying to sell you this. I'm. I know. Yeah, I, I very much. You so. undo you undo your legacy. You undo the trust people have in you by just over egging the pudding and skirting issues and overselling some and underselling others. You know, it's um, I do smile when I see a lot of stuff in print and think you've got a very short memory over who you whose baits you used to use. <laughs> Yeah, and the thing is, if you if you genuinely believe in the product that you are representing, you don't need to do any of the this, no. you know, the other stuff, do you? You really don't. You just be yeah. honest, present the facts, and and you you're good, aren't you? I can honestly say the difference between carp fishing now and in the olden days. In the olden days, you would have bait firms that would say, "Well, their bait's crap. Ours is the best." Blah 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 blah. Nowadays, I can quite honestly say that Nash will say to me, "Yeah." mainline make a great bait mm. um sticky made a great bait and i'm absolutely sure that sticky say exactly the same they mm. might well believe their own bait is the best one but mm. the days of bait companies putting other bait companies down uh, it, it makes you look a fool if i hear somebody from one bait company putting down well that mainline sells crap or sticky krill's no good i just think you clearly don't know what you're talking about 
and you've undone anything else I may think about the validity of your arguments. Once you, you can ruin a legacy or um, or your trust by one or two stupid daft statements. Absolutely. Yeah, very much. So yeah, I've really enjoyed that, and I would, you know, hope people, you know, hope people have enjoyed it as well, or will enjoy it. Should I say we did? I'm recall. sure they will. I'm we gonna, did uh... record all that. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they will. I'm going to end it with one question, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Do and be honest, and I know you will be honest. You always are. Do you do you ever kind of have a little hankering or fancy rolling a bait again? I imagine the answer is no, but I'll ask anyway. Do I um, if? If somebody said to me, um, right, Jules, the key is only available in um, a base mix. Um, you can have this if you roll it yourself. I'd roll it myself tomorrow. You'd do it tomorrow. And that's not knocking scope eight squid or the new test baits. You know, you, you have that, you know, you have that affinity with something. So do I have a hankering? Do I have a hankering over spending hours of my life doing at my age with my <laughs> arthritic knees? Yeah. Um, no, I don't hanker hanker that. <clears throat> I actually, yeah, I, I loved making bait. There is something you cannot duplicate. Yeah. About the feeling, it doesn't make it any more important. But knowing that you've stood in that kitchen, rolled that bait, and has worked is the same. And I try and put it into the ready-made rigs. Would I feel the same about a ready-made rig as I would about one I've tied myself? Probably not. Even if it's identical, there's something about tying my own rigs, and casting out myself and things like that. And there's just that little bit of thing about rolling you, your own bait that doesn't make it any more important, but it's it does, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been rolling for so long. It just feels yeah. normal to me, but I have used other people's baits and um, it, it, I feel a little bit like I'm cheating. You know, if someone else, yeah. if I'm using say Kenny's bait or something, I do feel like I'm cheating a little bit. So yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely agree with you. Do you have the time though? That's what I mean. Literally, I probably will use over the course of a season, 200 kilos of scope yeah. squid. It's a lot now, of work. Yeah. And we're talking 12 mils generally. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know how long that would take me to roll. And remember, if I'm never sat around with my feet up going, well, I've got six hours to kill today. I yeah. want to be out fishing. You know, I want to be out fishing or baiting up or, or you know, bike riding. I, I, if I could somehow roll 200 kilos of bait in two days, I'd do it. Yeah. We'd all have an electric car if it charged up in one minute 30 to get you 400 miles, wouldn't we? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it doesn't. No, no, no. I th and I thought that would be the answer. But, yeah, I thought I'd ask anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to do. Yeah. But I, I don't think it's ever going to happen. <laughs> no, no, I don't enjoy it either. And I, I love bait. So, uh, yeah, I can, put, can fully understand your stance on that. <laughs> All right, man, that was absolutely Julian, fantastic. Julian, thanks ever so much. Always a pleasure. And yeah, I'll catch you soon. All right, mate. Thanks, Sam. Cheers, bye. Bye, mate. Psst. If you're still here and you happen to be listening on the Apple Podcast app or Apple iTunes, please take a few moments, leave me a review, let me know how we're doing with this podcast. 
A, it's really nice to hear from you, and B, it helps this podcast stay relevant and stay in the ratings. If it doesn't stay in the ratings, it falls behind, um, people don't listen to it, and obviously that means there's not much point me doing it anymore. So if you can take a moment to leave me a review, I'd really appreciate it. If you're not listening on an Apple device, I don't think you can leave us a review, unless there's some means that I'm not aware of. Um, But Nonetheless, I appreciate you listening. It does mean a lot to me. And uh, yeah, feel free to, to reach out on social media. That's it. I look forward to bringing the next episode to you very soon.